Happy Mother's Day. Good morning, everybody. Well, I wish I could tell you I have a Mother's Day message today, but I unapologetically do not. <laughs> um, a couple months ago when um, Steve first asked me, I was like, I don't want to speak on Mother's Day because that would make me pressured and stressed out on my special day. Um, but the Lord checked me on that and he did give me something for today. So I'm just believing that it's going to be what somebody or somebody's needs to hear today. The first thing I want to do is go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we just love you, we praise you, and we adore you today, Lord. We lift up this entire service. Father, this message, I just pray, Lord, that it would come out the way that you put it in. And Lord, I just pray that only the things that you once said would be said today. And Father, as we read your word, Lord, that it would just be not only anointed, but it would be impactful and alive like your word already is. And we just give this to you right now in the name of Jesus. Amen. So, um... We've been spending a lot of time on Wednesday nights and even on Sunday mornings speaking about forgiveness. And what I want to do today is kind of flip that coin and talk about the things that lead us to forgiveness. So I think if we're all being honest with ourselves this morning, we may all struggle with um, individual things, things in our life that are not pleasing to God, um, things that maybe we yearn and long to change in our lives, but wonder how to have the ability to do it on our own. We try to do things on our own, and we just kind of come up short all the time. Um, sometimes not only do we know something's wrong in our life, but sometimes we don't have that desire to change it and we wonder what's wrong with us and that can even bring us to a place of guilt of wondering why am I not even feeling bad about these things I'm doing. So one of the things I want to talk to you about today is one of the biggest gifts that you can receive in this life. Um, it's something that is soul cleansing. It's something that can liberate you, it's something that can free you, and it's something that can leave you in a place of no regrets, that's a good place to be, isn't it? It's a choice, it's a life process, and something that is completely and absolutely necessary to get us to the place that God has for us, and also to get us to the next level in Him. And the life-changing place that I'm talking about today is a place of repentance. Sometimes we hear that word and we're like, repentance, you know, it's a word we hear often in church, but I want to talk about today what that really means, what that looks like, and also, if you're not to a place where you want to feel that, by the end of this message that you will desire to come to a place of repentance. Um, everybody... Everybody that you know, and probably even including yourself, you can think of a time when your life was completely changed. If, you've, if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, there was, there was a day that you came to know him and something changed inside of you. And if you think about anybody in your life who's had a radical change, and by a radical change, I mean you knew them one way, and now they're completely different. How many of you can say you know somebody like that? You knew them at their worst, and now they're at their best. And maybe even just yourself. Um, there's always something in common that those people have. And that is that they, at some point in their life, have come to a place of repentance. So that's what we're going to talk about. Um, the actual Greek word used most commonly in the Bible, in the New Testament, um, to talk about repentance is meta no -ow. 
Um, it's not spelled like that, but that's how it's pronounced. And um, that li means to literally change one's mind. Um, I was thinking, when I was preparing for this message, I was thinking about when I really got serious about God and when I came to a place of repentance and I, I hit my knees and I just, I only wanted what God wanted for me, how if you would have told me five minutes before I made that decision, I wouldn't have believed you. I wouldn't have believed you because that wasn't where I was. And in an instant, God changed my mind. And to me, that's still miraculous. And when Bradley was singing that song today, you know, my heart needs a surgeon, my soul needs a friend. I, I just, I couldn't stop crying thinking about that day for me and how it was life-changing. And we all want to experience that, but there's something in common that everybody has that's ever experienced, and that is reaching the place where you're at the end of yourself. We're going to be um, talking and reading from Acts 9, 1 through 22 today. I did use the English Standard Version today, um, but we're also going to be reading that, and um, that's where we're going to start our text today. And we're, we're talking about one of the biggest examples of repentance in the Bible, of somebody who went from one way to a complete different way, and that is Saul. And starting in um, chapter 9, verse 1, but Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. Not to be confused with the Ananias that Steve preached about last week, by the way. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here am I, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him, so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight. And he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, 
Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priest? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. That is one of the most radical transformations in the Bible of somebody who went from persecuting Christians and binding them and taking them and throwing them into court and no telling what could happen to them. But yet he had this major drastic change and he gave his life to Christ. And I want to talk about a few things that have to do with that. Repentance um, not only is soul cleansing and when we come to an end of ourself and realize that um, we need God, God allows circumstances in our life to bring us to that place. Much like Saul, for him it was super drastic. He had to have God audibly talk to him and, and Jesus say, it's me that you've been persecuting and actually you know, shine a light and strike him blind. But sometimes for us it's coming to the end of ourself because we realize what a mess we have made of our life. What a mess we have tried of doing it on our own and what a mess our decisions have brought us to this place. And um, I don't want to say raise your hand if you've ever been there, but I know I've been there. There's times when I have just got to the lowest of low and woke up and, and been like, I need something, you know, and, and recognizing that you can't save yourself because too many bad decisions have brought you to this place and it brings you to your knees. And I want to talk a little bit this morning about the difference between what I'm talking about with repentance and being sorry. So repentance goes beyond being sorry for what you did. Repentance goes beyond being sorry that you got caught. Repentance goes beyond sorry that you hurt your loved ones or sorry that your actions have got them upset at you. Um, sorry that you're reaping what you sown. Um, sorry that you're dealing with the consequence of your sin. Although being sorry for all those things can bring you to the place of repentance, it's much deeper than that. It's recognizing that your sin has been a whole, against not just people. Most of our sin does relate to people. Would you guys agree with that? Because most of the things in our life are either something that we're doing against other people and decisions that we're making that are affecting them. And ultimately, that is against God. But it's usually people-related. And... Um, when we recognize that our sin is not just against people, but a holy God that designed us to to know what sin is, you know, it's, there's there's things on our heart. Even if you don't read the Bible um, before you come to Christ, there's things that you just know are wrong. You know, even the way that not just the way you treat people, but there's things that you understand and recognize are wrong. But God will use all of those things, even being sorry for those things, to get you to that place. Um, I am grateful today. It is Mother's Day, so I always like to acknowledge my mom, of course. But one of the things that I am so grateful is that I had a mom that prayed whatever it takes to get my kids to their knees, whatever it takes for my kids to come to know you in a new way, whatever it takes for my kids to be saved, so be it, Lord. Um, that's a dangerous prayer. It, it, you got When you pray it, you have to know that, that God's going to answer that. But it's also a prayer that I, in my life, am so grateful that I had a mom who was willing to pray that prayer for me. Because guess what? God did whatever it took. And he brought me to a place where I was 
a mess of my own design, of my own choosing, of my own bad choices, but that's what brought me to my knees, and I'm forever grateful to have had repentance and the genuine thing that has changed my life forever. And also, not only do we get to make that one initial act of repentance to come back to God and be reconciled to Him, but that we get to live in a posture of repentance, because guess what? We have a loving Heavenly Father who is there with his arms open wide every time we come to him. That's the beauty of repentance, and that's what makes repentance a gift, is because it draws us to our loving Father, and we're just so grateful for that. Um, how many of you are familiar with the parable that Jesus told of the prodigal son? If you've ever walked through anything and then had that experience to come back to Christ, that is one of the most meaningful parables in the Bible. And the reason it's in there is because Jesus recognizes and wants to explain from his, you know, he's using those analogies of the prodigal son to explain each and every one of us that has come to that place and basically, you know, bankrupted ourselves on reckless living and needed to come back to Jesus. But in that scripture, and we're not going to read it today, but it said that he came to the end of himself and that was when he woke up in the pigsty. How many of you ever woke, woke up in the pigsty? Figuratively or, at, you know, actually, but um, when I was thinking about this, I was thinking, you know, he woke up in the pigsty. He was in filth. He was he did he had squandered everything, so he didn't have even food. He was he was basically lusting over the pig's food. You know that has to be pretty bad. That would be the equivalent of us not having food and like longing what our dog was eating at home. You know, I mean, some dog food's pretty good, but I don't think I want to be eating it. <laughs> um, but he came to the end of himself when he recognized just how how nasty he was living and he he woke up in the pigsty but you know nowadays the our pigsty is the weight of our sin when we feel filthy and when we feel dirty and we think about what we did yesterday or we think about what we did the day before and we're, we just feel filthy, our soul feels heavy, our, our soul feels burdened by the weight of our sin and it's heavy and it's not a fun place to be. But before he could come back to the Father, he had to recognize how bad his situation is. And that's the point that I want to make today is that... Um, not as it, only is it soul cleansing, but it requires obedience. So when God starts wooing you and you recognize how bad your state is, the beauty of repentance is that it takes, it's the first step to getting out of that. So God knew what it was going to take for Saul to come to that place of repentance. And God knows what it's going to take for all of us to come to that place of repentance. And he will allow those things to happen. Um, my... First point was that soul was uh, soul cleansing, but my second point is that repentance requires obedience. Um, that's obedience towards God to truly change who you are. Not obedience to another person, not obedience to a church, not obedience to some list of rules, but obedience to God himself as he shows you stuff. And when, you, when we repent of our sins and we are in that total place of surrender and we don't want anything to be between us and God, I remember when I gave my life back to Christ and I remember being in such awe that, he, that 
I stood before God that was willing to forgive me because my sin was much. My sin was weighty. My sin was heavy. And I remember just being in all of that. And I didn't want anything to cause me to lose that feeling. The soul cleansing that I had felt, I didn't want anything to take that back. And I remember just calling out to God and being like, okay, whatever you want from me, you know, whatever you need from me, whatever, whatever it is, whatever it looks like, I'll do it. Like from this moment on, I give my life to you in its entirety, and I really meant it. And I cried for three days over God's graciousness to be willing to forgive me of my sin. And when I prayed that, just knowing that I didn't want anything to be between me and him, it changed my life. And not only did it change my life, but it changed my marriage. It changed the trajectory of my kid's life. It changed everything about our life and our family. And it... It made things so much better. It, it put me in right standing with God. And I wish I could stand up here and tell you. And I got it right every day since. I'd be a big fat liar. <laughs> so the truth is, I mean, I have to maintain that posture of repentance every single day. Just, just like we all do. And so it's something that requires obedience on a daily basis too. Um, not only um, does it require repentance that way, but God is so will give it to you. He withholds no good thing. And if you need a next step, he will reveal that to you and he will show you. So for Paul, his next step in verse 18 says he rose and then he got baptized. He was being obedient. And not only was he being obedient there, but earlier in that chapter, um, before that, when God first struck him blind and he said, rise, Paul, and go, Paul, it doesn't say anything about Paul kicking and screaming and doing all this. It says he rose. And he, when he rose, he was actually blind. I don't know if you caught that, but he, when he rose, he could not see. So he chose to be obedient even though he was blind and didn't really know where those guys were going to be leading him. God had told him, but he still had to walk in faith and open up, you know, even though he didn't have his, his physical eyes open, he had to do what, what the, God told him regardless of the situation he was in. So God will give you the next steps. And um, he was also obedient after when he, the Bible isn't real specific. It doesn't go into that he just stood there for hours and repented. It said that he was, you know, he was blind for three days. But what do you think he was doing in that three days? I've often wondered that. You think he was just sitting there in silence or you think he was going through everything in his mind that he had just walked through? Because remember, he was binding up Christians. He was, he was going into houses, dragging men and women out of their houses to take them, you know, to the synagogue. He was, he was, hurt, he was hurting people. He was dressed, I mean, physically dragging them out. He wasn't just, you know, oh, let me talk bad about somebody or something. He was physically doing things. So I bet you in those days when he was blind, he was doing a lot of thinking and a lot of repenting and a lot of talking to God about what took him to this place. Um, and verse 20 says he immediately, he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues. He did a complete turnaround from the life he had been living to the life that God had for him. And he was a chosen instrument. So in our case, our 
whatever God wants for us may not be what he, I mean, obviously Saul, who was to become Paul, was going to go on to write two-thirds of the New Testament to lead the Gentiles um, to Christ. And there was many things that God has planned for him, but there's many things that God has planned for each and every one of us. And just because the plan doesn't look like it did for him, we still have to be at that total place of obedience and next steps. What does this look like, God? And also have our ears wide open, because guess what? Sometimes what the plans that we think God has as our next step, or he should have as a next step, is not what he has at all. But if we're listening to his voice, we're going to hear what his next step are. And is he ever going to lead us astray? He is a good, good father. Whatever he says and whatever next step he gives you are going to be for your benefit. So we need to seek God for our next step. You know, that's going to look different for every single person. And you know what? Some of that stuff, if God tells you to stay away from somebody and that somebody is causing you pain or they're causing you to sin, your next step would be to stay away from them. True repentance requires drastic changes drastic changes because you will do whatever it takes to stay away from that sin whatever it takes to stay away from that place and to stay in communion with God and for some of us that's drastic super drastic that means if you were doing wrong and it, it pertained to your phone that means you chuck the phone if you have to go without a phone because you can't handle it because of what you're looking at on your phone who you're gonna talk to on your phone chuck your phone Learn to live without it for as, as long as you need to. If it's, if it's that you can't survive um, being around a bar because you can't be in a bar and not drink, don't go to the bar. Seek sober living. Stay away from people that are going to take you down the wrong path. If you can't not smoke weed when you're around certain friends because you want what they have, Stay away from those friends. We just have to be obedient. And there is nothing wrong with drastic. And can I just say one thing too? We do not have to answer to people in this life. We have to answer to God. And if people have a problem with what you're trying to do, especially if it's what the Lord has told you to do, you have to care less about people and more about pleasing God. And I promise you it will pay off in the long run. So this church, um, Reach, Restore, Redeem, is the mission statement of this church. And when you have true repentance... That precedes restoration. When you come to a place where you have asked God to forgive you for something, he begins a process of rebuilding you from the inside out. And if anybody's ever experienced that, there is nothing like that. When God himself puts you back together, when God himself roots the stuff out of you that needs to go, and when God himself puts your feet back on solid ground, and says, this is what I have for you. There is nothing more precious. And restoration is very dear to me and Steve's heart because of, of the restoration that we've received in our own family. The restoration to our marriage. If you want to ever know how God restored our marriage and, and you have a hurting marriage, Marriage Restored comes up several times a year and we're prisoners for Marriage Restored and you can hear our story in its entirety because it's not anything we did and it is everything that God did. And we are forever grateful for that. But you cannot have restoration of your marriage, of a friendship, 
of a family situation or even personal restoration apart from repentance because that's what sets the stage for God to move. That's what sets the stage for you to render your heart. There's nothing more precious to God than a broken and contrite heart. And that's what we have when we come to that place of repentance. So repentance precedes restoration first to God. You know, I was going to make a point that repentance um, brings restoration. But then I was really thinking about it. And you know, God reconciled ourself, him, himself to us while we were yet sinners through Jesus. So actually... It's not that at all. It's actually God already reconciled us. Repentance is what allows us to come to that place to accept that free gift that God already gave us. He gave us his son Jesus Christ as a ransom for our sin. God already did it while we were yet sinners. He knew every sin that we were going to commit, every sin that we've already committed, and every sin that we were going to commit. And he still sent Jesus to the cross, and Jesus still willingly went and paid the price. So it's that that brings, restoration is what brings us to that place of reconciliation. So we have to accept it. Um, per, repentance precedes restoration both to First of all, between us and God, which like I said is the most beautiful place you can be, but it also brings restoration in ourselves as we allow God to heal us, as we allow God to change who we are. Um, there's a lot of things. We could read all the self-help books we wanted in this entire world. We could do everything that we wanted to try to be a better person, but nothing will repair and restore us like Jesus. Nothing in the world will repair us like that. And so we have to first recognize that we are in need of that restoration. So repentance also precedes restoration to others. So when we're walking in a place of repentance and we have experienced restoration to him and ourselves and we're allowing him to do his thing, it spills over into every other area of our life which is so cool because it spills over to our families, it spills over to our personal relationships, it spills over to our workplace, it spills over to everything. And um, people, God is always willing to forgive. People take time. Not so much. Guess why? Because we're not God. <laughs> and we are working through the things in the natural. And sometimes our hearts are broken and our hearts are hurting. And even though somebody is genuinely repentive, it takes time for us to work through those hurts. So we may have accepted that they're genuinely sorry that they've repented, but sometimes we, we just take a little bit longer. You know, even if we want to be healed and restored, sometimes we just, we're on a different timetable as we're working through those things. Um, so not only that, but it just um, starts the whole process. So if you're in a situation, here's the cool thing. Maybe you've asked God, you've repented to God. He has begun restoring. He's already restored yourself to him. He's begun the process of restoring you as an individual. The rest will follow. But even if, if somebody's unwilling or unable to forgive you, if, if they're a Christ follower, they should be able to forgive you. But let's say somebody in the natural who's unwilling to forgive you. That's okay because guess what? All is well with your soul. All is well between you and God. And sometimes those things take time. And sometimes, you know, me and Steve have a situation that, um, in our life that, that we've done all we can do 
to ask this person, you know, to work past an issue. But all is well with our soul because we've taken it to the Lord. We've asked God next steps. And at some point, it's up to other people whether they forgive or whether they don't. So you have to just remember that and not get discouraged. I wanted to share a little story this morning about a friend of mine. Um, when I wasn't serving God wholeheartedly, I had a friend that I spent a lot of time with daily. Um, we walked together. We just we spent a lot of time together. And she was what I like to call a one-upper. She was one of those friends that no matter what you said or what you did, she did it better or had something to say. And it got like pure out competitive. Like if I lost a couple pounds and she, she didn't need to lose weight, but I'm always needing to lose weight. And so I, was, I would say, oh, I lost five pounds. She'd be like, I lost 10, you know? Or like whatever she knew that I was going after in life, she would do the, try to do and do it better. And she was, and looking back, I recognized that she didn't have God either. So we were probably a mess together. But um, there came a point when at like, after several years of this, and, I, and knowing enough about forgiveness, I would forgive her, and then she would do it again. And then I would think about the last three things she did, and then I would forgive her again. And then it came to a point where I was like, you know what? I don't want to be her friend. <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't know if that's, I, I just, I remember being so like, and instead of taking it to her and asking her and saying, you know what? You stink as a friend. Let me tell you why. Or instead of being honest with her, I just cut her off. Um, we had moved um, shortly before that, and I was like, I'm done. And I just kind of washed my hands, and I did not handle that in a good way at all. It was completely wrong the way I handled it. And guess what? I wasn't sorry. <laughs> If I'm just being honest today, I was not sorry. I was just glad to not have to deal with that anymore. Um, and a couple years later, after I gave my life to Christ, all of a sudden, because when I gave my life to Christ, God was having me repent to everybody. Everybody that was impacted by my sin, because once I said it was heavy duty and major and it affected a lot of people, and God had me going and, and repenting not only to him, but to people that were affected by my sin. And I gladly did that because I figured that was the least I could do um, for him being but when I got my life right, there was one day I was driving. I wasn't thinking about this person or anything. And all of a sudden, repentance fell on me for the way I handled that situation. All of a sudden, I saw things through her eyes and what she must have felt like when I just ditched. No explanation. No, hey, I'm sorry. You know, this is why we're parting company. Nothing godly about the way I handled that. And I remember being in my car and just started bawling and bawling and bawling and feeling so bad. And I went home and I ordered her some flowers and I called her and I asked, I said, can I come see you? And she was like, yeah. And I, and I went and I went to her house and I hadn't talked to her probably for a year and a half or two years. And I just repented to her you know, for how I had treated her, for the wrong I had doing, and, and if I had felt all those ways that it wasn't fair to not say anything. And, um, you know, people can't fix what they don't know is broke. If you don't go to somebody, and that, that is true, that's just a sidebar for this message today, but if you don't go to somebody and let them know how they're hurting your heart, and that, that's a friendship, that's a marriage, that's, a, that's even your pastor, that's people in the church, that's everybody. If somebody doesn't know that they're hurting you, they may never know. Bar the work of the Holy Spirit that's, you know, would convict them, they may not know. So we owe it to people to be truthful and honest when we're hurting. So, 
I wish I could tell you that we're still, you know, that we, God restored that friendship and we, you know, we're such good friends now. That's not the case. But I learned a lot from that and I keep short account with friends now and people in my life because I don't ever want to be that person again. But I do see her on occasion and we're able, you know, to have conversation. Matter of fact, I ran into her the other day and she's like, we need to go have dinner or something, you know, but I just, I wish I had handled that different. But my whole point to that little story is that God granted me a gift of repentance that I never even saw. I never even saw it coming. I wasn't praying for her. I wasn't expecting it. But all of a sudden, God pricked my heart and was like, there's something there that you need to fix. So if you're, if you're in relationship with God and he pricks your heart about somebody, even maybe from a while ago, because you don't know what hurt you've caused them, you know, from a year ago, maybe it's 10 years ago, don't discount that that's him trying to get things right between you and him. So my last point is that repentance bears fruit. Um, you can't have true repentance without having the fruit of it. John the Baptist preaches, um, when he preached about repentance, he said, uh, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And that's in Luke 3, 8. And he preached that to the crowds that came to him to be baptized. In verse 12 through 14, um, they were coming to him talking about tax collectors. Tax collectors were like, okay, like we've repented. Now what does this look like in our lives? What, give us directions. Give us, give us a formula. What are we to do? And he told like tax collectors, don't go collect more money than is owed to you. Um, than you're authorized to do. He told soldiers not to exhort money from anyone by threats or false accusations and to be content with their wages. But I'm sure if anybody else had asked in any occupation, he would have told them what righteous living looked like for them. So when he told them to repent and to bear fruit, he meant if you've truly come and you've truly repented, then it ought to be evident in your life. So I just want to talk about that for a little bit. And I want to talk about some signs of true repentance. Now, I'm not giving you this list so that you can check it off for somebody you know who's told you they're sorry. And then you can be like, guess they're not really sorry. I don't see that fruit in their life. That's not why I'm giving you this list. This is for inventory on ourselves. This is, this is so that we can look at our life and see if we are really walking in repentance. Are we having these things or, you know, is, are we just saying we're sorry with our mouth? The first one is um, somebody who's truly repentive is willing to confess all their sins, not just the ones that cause them to get in trouble. That means it's not just this sin because I'm sorry I got in trouble for this one, so I'm really sorry for this, but I got 10 begetting sins over here. That's not what it is. They want every area of their life swept clean. They want nothing between them and God. A, a truly repentant heart wants nothing between them and God. So don't be surprised when you have a heart of repentance if all of a sudden crazy stuff starts coming to your mind that you did a while ago. That's, that's God cleaning your house and it's a good place. The second one is they face the pain that their sin has caused other people. That's a hard one because when you recognize that your pain has caused other people grief and it's Mother's Day today so even as a mother or as a father and you're thinking about sin that's caused pain in your family, that can be a hard pill to swallow. But the cool thing is 
It comes to the surface, we recognize it, and we get it covered under the blood. And Jesus is faithful to do that. People um, not only face that pain, but they don't blame shift, and they don't make excuses for what they did. I'm really sorry, Lord, for what I did, but you know why I did it. That person had it coming. You saw how they treated me all these years, and they had it coming. That is not godly way to repent. Because repentance is about you and God, not what the other person did or didn't do. It's about keeping your heart pure between a holy God, not anything to do with what they've done to bring you to this place. Um, we see this in Paul, and later on in Acts chapter 22, verse 20, when he's speaking to the people, and he's recounting his experience as he talks about the blood of Stephen. And if you were here a few Wednesday nights ago when Mike Dunn um, spoke about forgiveness, he, he did a beautiful parallel to um, Saul saying, or to Stephen rather, saying that prayer as he was being stoned, don't hold their sin against him. And just what if that prayer that he prayed was for Saul? You know, what if that prayer was what brought Saul to that place? It was a beautiful thing I had never even thought of. But... He's speaking to the people and recounting his experience as he talked about the blood of Stephen. Because remember, if you're familiar in Acts at all, he, he stood there while they stoned Stephen and he held their garments. And he, he approved of it. So later on when he was you know, explaining about his conversion and he was telling people, he, brought, he went back to that place and reminded them that he was in on that. You know? So he knew his choices had hurt other people. And then he took responsibility for what he did. So that's something um, really important too. Number three is that people that are truly repentant ask forgiveness, not just from God, but from the people they hurt. That's just like what, I, what the Lord had me do with my friend. You know, he showed me something and I was able to actually go to her. And that's just one of many. But, um, and they also don't pressure others to forgive them uh, before they're ready, but they also, um, they recognize that that it's a choice that that person has to forgive them, but they're at least, you know, giving them the opportunity. And we also see that um, when Paul went to Jerusalem and attempted to join the other disciples later on, you think they were excited after they knew everything he had done to Christians? And he was like, he, they knew, they had, word had traveled what Saul had done to Christians. So when he came and said, like, do, 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 I'm a disciple now. They weren't happy about that. They didn't believe him, but why would they believe him? They wouldn't believe him because his reputation had preceded him the other direction. So when God truly changes somebody over time, especially, we can, we can begin to trust them, but sometimes that's a consequence of the place we've come from is that people don't take you real seriously at first. But that's okay, because remember, once again, it's between you and God. Um, they were afraid of him. They didn't believe that he was a disciple. And he actually had to let Barnabas explain his conversion. So they had to hear about his conversion from somebody other than just him to make that believable. So, but um, a person who's truly repentant, they understand and accept that all they can do is request forgiveness. Because what somebody else does is on them but you can request it. And so that's another sign. Um, the fourth one, uh, the fourth fruit, is that they accept new limitations and new boundaries on their life. For example, if somebody stole something and they repented and 
everybody knew that they stole stuff, would you leave your purse around them? Or would somebody hire them for a job where they stole money? Like right off the bat, it's not going to be something that God would. So you have to accept. And you know, I don't know about you guys, but I know some of my own weaknesses. And we make boundaries accordingly in our life. If you know your weaknesses, it's okay to have boundaries. Matter of fact, you should have boundaries. If you don't, you're going to get yourself in trouble again. And if you've got, it's the same thing we were talking about earlier. If you have a besetting sin or you have a propensity towards something, then just know that about yourself and, and that's okay. Just um, and accept a limitation or a boundary that might be. And you know what? Sometimes there's boundaries that the Lord uh, institutes in our life. And then sometimes those boundaries can lift over time but sometimes never. But you just have to be obedient to know what God wants in your life and what boundaries are need to be there. Um, boundaries protect us. Uh, boundaries aren't a bad thing. They're, they're for our protection. It's just like, a, um, I've always liked the analogy about fences put around things. They're put around to keep the wrong people out and the right people in. Just like you have a fence to keep your children in, but also to keep pedophiles out, it's the same thing. Boundaries are a good thing. Um, the fifth one, the, the fifth fruit of repentance is that they have accountability for their area of struggle from other Christians. Depending on the nature of, of what you had needed to repent for, that could be a trusted prayer partner, but it should always be your spouse. Um, Almost without exception, there shouldn't be any secrets in a marriage. And if there's something that you struggle with, your spouse needs to be the one who helps you keep those boundaries and who keeps you accountable and who you have on your side that way. And we see Paul being accountable. Um, even in verse 19, it says he spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. I'm betting they were pouring into him. I'm betting they were taking him to the Lord in prayer and helping him deal with those things that he had been thinking about. And it, the Bible doesn't say it, but it implies that probably Ananias probably spent time with him because he had received that word that it's okay. You know, Ananias told the Lord, I'm scared to go. I've heard everything that he's done. And Anan but God told Ananias, it's okay because he's my chosen instrument. Go be with him. So whether, I don't know if he was there in that time with him or not, but but it would be implied that he probably would be somebody that he spent time with during that time also. So the sixth fruit of somebody that's truly repentant is that they're obedient to what God shows them daily. That means we don't pick and choose obedience. We don't pick and choose. You know, I think, because guess what? You'll, you'll end up right where you started. We have to be obedient daily to everything that God shows us. Recognizing our need for God continually. And we can't do this life apart from him. So repentance, if done right, is a life changer for you. It's a life changer for your family. And it's a life changer for all of those that are connected to you. And that's a big deal. That's how we change um, not just our families and our church family and our it's how we make a difference in our community. It's how we make a difference in our world. And it's, and you know, I'm a firm believer that God has big plans for this church. I really, really believe that God has big, big plans for this church. 
And in those big plans, he requires us to be set apart. He, re he requires us to be consecrated for his service. And if that is a heart cry of yours, that you want to be used of God, and most importantly, you just want all to be well with your soul, then, then repentance is something you want to, want to live out and include in your life daily. Um, I want to close with a thought. So we know that repentance is, first of all, it is a command. And it is, is a command that we are to repent. Um, Acts 11.18 says, um, Acts 17.30 rather, God commands all people to repent. But Acts 11.18 um, says that God granted the Gentiles repentance that leads to salvation. Granted. That means he, he granted them. It doesn't mean they woke up. He is the one that bestowed that on them, that gift of repentance. Second Timothy 2.25, Paul says that we must gently instruct those who oppose us in the hope of God, that God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of life. And um, God does grant that. And it's one of the, I remember very clearly being at a place where I knew I was doing wrong, but I didn't care. And I don't know if you guys can relate to that. I knew full well that what I was doing was sinful. I knew full well that what I was doing was sinful, not just before God, but it was affecting other people, and I plain old did not care. And looking back, it makes me ashamed um, it makes me feel really bad to even think that was where my head was, but that's the reality of it. Um, so I think if we're all being honest with ourselves, there is times when we feel we know something's wrong, but we don't fix it. And that keeps us from what God has from us, for us. So if you're in this place and you're like, yeah, I know what I'm doing, don't care, don't discount that God and his sovereignty and God and his mercy and his grace can bestow that gift on you in a moment's time that you never saw it coming. And he can hit you with it and he can grant you that gift of repentance that is a mighty gift because it's going to change your life, rock your world and put you on fire for him and put you in a new place and put your life in a totally different direction. So my, my closing thought today is just to recognize repentance conviction, any of those things as the gift that they are. They are gifts. And we're I'm forever grateful for the gift of repentance. And I hope that I hope that you that have experienced repentance, um, that you view it like that too and, and never take it lightly and that we do keep a short account with God. But if you're here today and you're like, I don't feel sorry for the things I do, but I want to, that's a start. It's a start, and God will answer those prayers, and he will help you with that, and he will grant you that gift of repentance. That's also a command. And um, the biggest gift that it is, is it restores us to God. That's the biggest gift, and there is nothing that can be more satisfying in this life than to be where we need to be with our Heavenly Father. Because just like in the prodigal son, the prodigal son recognized his sin, woke up in the pigsty, realized how thing, bad things were, and guess what? He would have settled just to, to live in his father's house as a slave or a hired help. That's all he expected. But guess who greeted him? 
who was his father with open arms, who was like, I don't care what you've been through. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what decisions you've made. I don't care how bad it's been of your own choosing. Prepare the fatted calf, because my son is home. And he loved him. That's what he has for each of us today, is he has prepared the, the fat calf. He wants us to be home and he wants, wants to um, give us his best and his all because that's how much he loves us. So I'm just going to say a prayer. Um, I'm just going to say a prayer for our hearts today. Whether you're in that place or whether you're in that place where you recognize that you need to repent. And if that's you, we'll have a place for that at the end of the service, too. Lord, we just go before you today, Lord. Grateful, forever grateful, Lord, for that gift of repentance. Lord, that gift that doesn't leave us how we are, steeped in our own sin, steeped in our own mess, steeped in our own filth, Lord, even by decisions that we made ourselves, Lord, but that loves us enough to forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, Lord, and to take our sin that was as scarlet and make it white as snow. And Lord, we're just grateful today, Lord, for the gift of repentance. Lord, we're grateful that repentance bears fruit, Lord. We're grateful that repentance changes lives. And Lord, I just lift up every single person in this building right now, Lord, wherever they are. Lord, maybe they haven't been persecuting Christians, but maybe they've been persecuting your name by the way they act. Lord, maybe there's something that you've revealed to them and they've held on to it because they like it. They like what they're doing. They like talking bad about others or they like things that they don't want to give up. Father, it could be something major. It could be a drug problem, an addiction problem. It could be a porn problem. It could be anything. But it could be minor too, Lord, because no sin is different to you. Lord, there's things, Lord, that you've pointed out and shown us in our life and we've chosen to look the other direction and do what we want regardless. And Lord, for that, we repent today, Father. I pray that everybody in this building will keep a really short account with you, Lord. I pray that as things pop up and as you show them things in their life, Lord, that they would want to get it right that moment, that there will be nothing standing between their heart and yours, Lord. And Lord, we thank you that you provided that through your son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, we thank you that you love us so much, Lord, that you just welcome us back with open arms, Lord. And then you give us next steps. Lord, we don't even have to figure it out on our own. Your word and your Holy Spirit give us next steps. And Lord, we're grateful for that today. And Lord, we just thank you, Father, for Mother's Day, Lord. We thank you for family. And Lord, I just lift up Anybody in the house, Lord, that is suffering today, Lord, or Mother's Day is, is compounding things that they're already dealing with and causing the struggle to be great, Lord, I pray that you would lighten their load. I pray that you would minister to them in that way that only you can do, Lord, and that you would just do miraculous things in their hearts, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.
What a powerful and important message today. <laughs> so proud of my wife. Before we uh, go today, and I want to get you out of here, and we're, we're actually getting you out. She does better than me. She's getting you out early. Like, I keep you 10 minutes over. She's getting you out 10 minutes early. She's, she's way better than me. Um, but before we leave today, there's, there is one thing that I want to do. Um, if, if you're a mom in this room, would you just stand? Moms deal with and, and go through some things uh, that n nobody else really sees. You know, a lot of times moms are carrying the weight of the family, the weight of the kids. Um, moms are carrying the weight of kids who are dealing with situations and struggles. And uh, a lot of times when dad is snoring, mom is praying. You know, and, and I want to recognize all of you today that, uh, that I'm grateful for you and we're thankful for you. And I don't think there's anybody on the planet that has closest to the heart of God than the heart of a mom. And it's not just biological moms, but moms who have adopted, moms who foster, moms who raise their siblings. Miss Lucille. Moms who, who have done uh, what they've had to do to make sure the family stays together. Moms who have done what they had to do to make sure their kids are safe. Moms who have gone without so that their kids could have. And I just want to pray a blessing over you today. And if you're in this house and you're a mom and today you're struggling because there's something going on in your family and you carry the weight of it. And that's you. I want to pray over you. And if you're in this house and you're a mom and you're struggling because you're carrying the weight of things that are happening in your family and you're carrying all the weight. If you're a single mom in the room and you're carrying all the weight. I want to tell you today that we see you. We love you. We stand with you. And we want to pray for you this morning. So I'm going to ask my wife to come alongside me in prayer. And we just want to pray over you. Father, we thank you for these women who are standing in this room today. I thank you, Father, for those women who are online, standing at home or wherever they may be. Father, I just pray today in the mighty name of Jesus that you would prosper these women. I pray, Father, that you would, first of all, prosper their prayers. I pray, Lord, that their prayers would be powerful, anointed prayers. That they would, they would go forth into the atmosphere and break off the bondages and the sins off of children, off of husbands, off of family. That they would be able to stand firm in who they are as women of God. Father, I thank you for them today. I thank you, Lord, that they're powerful prayer warriors. I thank you, Lord, that for those moms that stand in the gap for their kids, praying at midnight, praying at 3 a.m., praying for their kids, Lord. I, I thank you for those moms today. Father, I pray that you would prosper them as their soul prospers, Lord. That you would bring into their life the desires of their heart. The women who have given up everything to make sure their kids were safe, comfortable, cared for. I pray, Father, that you would bring blessings into their life. That you would begin to pour 
pour things into their life. You see the desires of their heart and the things they cry out for in the dark. And Father, I pray that you would bring those desires to their heart right now in Jesus' name. Father, I pray that a hedge of protection, guardian angels around them. Lord, over their body, their soul, their mind, their spirit, over every portion of them, Father, that you would cover them. And Father, I pray that the miracles that they stand for, the miracles that they pray for, I pray, Father, that they would begin to happen. In the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody in this room said, Amen. God bless you guys. I want to say very quickly, happy Mom's Day to my mom who's watching online in West Virginia today. I will call you after church. And uh, we all love you. Amen. Barbara Miller, West Virginia, my mom, we love you. God bless you, church. You're dismissed. Have a great day today with your family.